All right. Well, my guest today is Ben. Ben, welcome to the Founders Lounge. Thank you very much for having me. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm good. Oh, I say I'm good, actually. I'm a bit, uh, I think I've caught my daughter's uh, cold or something like that. So I've got the traditional oh. flu over COVID or anything that's in the press. So I'm gently But it's not, not too bad. <laughs> No, it's <laughs> gently fine. suffering okay that's fine i think we might get into i think we might get into suffering at some point during this episode just given your story so i was <laughs> i was doing a little bit of research i tried to be not overly prepared but at least somewhat prepared for the episode so that i know you know who i'm talking uh who i'm talking to and you were actually recommended by ash right i was talking to ash and Ash said we really should have ben on the podcast and i did a little bit of research yesterday and you have an incredible life story that uh, that you've gone through and um you, well you're a former royal marines commando which i can't wait to talk about that um you are a published author with penguin business and most recently you're a co-founder of Lupin, which is a tool to support and empower employees right so uh, i'd love to talk about a number of those things and especially how I, I think one part that I would like to understand the most or that I think might be interesting for everyone listening also is just the lessons that you took took from being a commando and applied to business and life in general. So um, a number of interesting things to talk about. Before we get into all those topics, can you tell me two truths and one lie about your life or business? Yeah, so I was, I was probing you on this beforehand, wasn't I, about how to get this right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just going to give you three points and then you're going to try and guess it at the end, right? Have I got that right? Yes, exactly. I'll try to. In the end, we're going to tell which one is the lie. Okay. In the first six months of opening up our business, we signed five FTSE, top FTSE 100 companies. Okay. Um neither of us are technical founders and okay neither of us have a clue what's going on <laughs> <laughs> well i'll say the last one so is one, one somewhat <laughs> i'll say the last one is somewhat of a reality for every single founder so yeah. <laughs> i think that has to be the truth um which one's a lie um I'm going to go with, I actually don't know which one is a lie. Uh, I'll go with uh, the second one that neither of you is a technical founder, but we'll see. Don't tell us yet. Um, we'll get to that at the end of the episode. So if you're listening, stay with us until the end to learn, <laughs> to learn which one's uh, true and which one isn't. Um, all right. Now back to our conversation. So you let's uh, i think let's talk about your um career or your experience being um a, a royal marines commando right um mm. there there's probably i think you've been doing that for was it a decade or so it's been quite yeah. quite a while right yeah. if do you have like a 3 to 5 minute long <laughs> explanation and i know that there are many many stories and a lot of things that we could go get into but uh do you have like a three to five minute summary of you know how what got you into that and how was that experience what what, what happened what uh, how was that yeah so my time before the marines was a little bit off the beaten track so 
quite a dysfunctional family lost a lot of purpose in my life which is why I'm you know in my own sort of spare time like to speak about male mental health especially and you know talk to kind of our demographic around purpose in life and what does it even look like and I lacked any and I was very much in the wrong place all the time um, I had a really bad drug addiction and was you know basically on the last part of my life really I didn't really want to be here and so I was more convinced on killing myself than actually doing anything of value and then um, on a particular day which turned out to be a life-changing day where you know I sort of convinced myself that was going to be the day I wasn't going to be here anymore I, I completely bottled it and at, just by chance ended up back at home in in, in a bit of a drug-fueled blackout to be sat in front of a very old sort of rubbish rundown computer watching probably v1 if not the mvp of youtube when it first came out and um maybe a latter version but uh stumbling across a one of the older videos of the royal marines advert um and it mm -hmm. constantly asks you in sort of stages throughout the advert it pauses of this you know this young man running around an assault course saying would you stop here you know, and then it, he runs on a bit further and he comes across another obstacle and, you know, would, freezes again, would you stop here? And it, all the way to the end. And then it says, if you answered yes to any of these, don't even bother filling out the application form. Um, but when I was a young boy, my ambition was to become a Royal Marine. And I lost that along my sort of adolescent youth through to my teens and came off the bandwagon. And it was that advert that gave me the calling again to say, get a grip of your life and go and do the thing that we maybe assume that we're put on earth to do. And so in, in a bit of a roundabout way, managed to clear my life up over the ne next couple of months after that. And then fast forward a year from that point, I was at the commando training center beginning the journey and the journey is incredible. I was very proud of just um, managing to pass all the tests to get to the gates of Limston, which is where the, the commando training center is. Um, to overcome my own personal adversities, to clear up my life, to clean up my life, to become sober, to, to actually be stood at that camp, you know, on day one of what is known as one of the world's toughest military courses to, to start that journey. And, and that for me was a bit of a, in my head, wide smile, as if to say, I'm here, now's my chance to go and do it. And then I commenced the, the 32 weeks and, and obviously went on to do my 10 years during the period of time, which was, 2008 to 2019 beginning off which was you know the high intensity of the afghan wars and, and iraq and um got to have my experiences and i think for me it showed me what ai was probably put on earth to do which was to not represent my country by the british military or fight for my country but my purpose was to be part of a group of people that had a common objective to achieve mission success at something and I think the biggest thing I lacked was having a a set of values, an ethos, and be surrounded by the right people who could pull me in the direction I was probably programmed to be heading in. Um, instead, before the Marines, that that didn't exist, and that's what the that's what what we call the core gave me to, I think, equip me with maybe a little bit of resilience and tenacity for what I do today, being a founder. Mm -hmm. I could ask so many sub questions about that, 
But what, there's one particular point that I'm the most curious about, which is you said, so, you know, you were at the lowest point at your life and you had no purpose and you were even considering to just end your life at that point. And then what, and then you saw this video and you just completely, something just made a complete 180 degree switch, which is really interesting. You know, I know a lot of people who might, maybe they're not that far, maybe they're not that low, but they are not very motivated to do anything in life or especially not to do something difficult or something admirable or something that maybe they, they know that they kind of want to do, but they never get that whatever energy, motivation, inspiration to actually do it. Now, what's interesting, you, you were like at the lowest point and then you decided to do something that's incredibly difficult and incredibly hard to reach. What do you think happened in that moment? How, what happened in that moment in your mind? I think it's, um, it's a really interesting point you raise there actually, because it's almost like people don't make the change in it until it's either too late or they're at their wit's end and at their lowest point. And I think I was probably forced into that decision by myself because I had nothing else. And you know, when you have nothing else, although at the time I did, I just didn't realize it when you have nothing else kind of turns into survival mode so you just go well screw it i'm just gonna go and do this thing and what's the worst that can happen i think when people haven't maybe reached that bottom mm -hmm. they're like well i still have a couple of things going for me and maybe now's not the time to do the screw it approach mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so there's a lack of a supposed commitment to go and do it but it's funny people people will find themselves lots of different types of listeners will be hearing the story and will, will recognize something within themselves, which is similar, whether it's as dark and as deep and as low as that or, or not. Everyone's got their own perspective as well. You know, mine seems quite low, but to some, there's someone far lower than I was mm. in the world. Um, mm. And, you know, and the best thing about going back to the commando training center years later as an instructor to train the recruits coming through, I got to see, some of those kids that had similar stories, if not worse stories to myself, and feel inspired by those guys coming through. And I think you kind of realize how normal it is to feel low and purposeless, that it makes it easier for me to now have this conversation with people like yourself to try and help people understand what, what are you really searching for? And ironically, we'll probably get into it later. I see a lot of it in founders that there's a lot of chasing of a dream, but the particular dream is they don't know what they want or why they're doing mm -hmm. it. And they're kind of a founder for the sake of being a founder or that in itself. I don't really, I'm not sure where I sit with it yet that it, the word founder is, seems mm -hmm. like a title as opposed to anything else is, you know, what are you really here to do? Like, what is your purpose to establish something that changes something forever? Uh, and there's meaning behind it. And I, and I think going back to my days of feeling feeling like a depressed drug addict, um, I had nothing and I, and I wanted to go and solve my own problem. You know, I wanted to find that solution for my own problem, which if I'm going to speak in tech terms now, I iterated over the years to come. But, uh, um, but that was where it started. You know, that's that's where it began is I had to make a switch. I had to make a switch. Mm -hmm. otherwise it was going to end in tears and i think i was forced into it by myself to do it and i do you know what i hope many other people men male and female recognize those things that may be occurring within their life earlier than i did 
and still make the same great decisions. So you bring up an interesting point. You said a lot of founders don't really necessarily know why they're a founder. And I think that's something I actually want to explore a little bit more on this podcast. I think it's, I think it's a very interesting question because either some people don't know and those who don't, who do know, they might have very different reasons, right? Um, mm. there, there can be a very, there can be a variety of whys behind it. Um, and, and I think a lot of people might, they might know deep inside, but they might not really be aware of it on the surface because it's not always very obvious. Um, so I'm curious, so you have your own business now. What's, what's your why? Why did you decide to eventually become an entrepreneur? So it's almost staged because it all works in stages. So I, I don't believe I was ever meant to do this, but I'm doing it, which means I must be meant to have done it at some point. But the military, and especially where I see from our community in the Marines, um, they're very entrepreneurial people. So the ethos of the Royal Marine is basically adapt and overcome. You know, that's programmed into you from day one. Uh You then have a particular set of values that you not only sort of abide by, but live by, which is, you know, courage, humility, integrity, uh, excellence, and a a few more, uh, which is our spirit. And these words and this ethos kind of ensure that you can try and get yourself out of really difficult, rubbish situations when things are going very wrong and, and you know, mm. lives are at risk. Um, so you always try and find ways out of situations. And then what adapt and overcome also means is uh, no, no plan survives first contact. So you can do all the planning in the world. The moment mm-hmm. the bullets come at you, the, mm-hmm. the plan's out the window and you need to react. So that, in my eyes, in a nutshell, is what being a founder is exactly like. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. all the business plans in the world within two weeks, it's out the window, and you need the ability to adapt and overcome. Where it changed for me was um, my original path in the Marines was to go into the Special Forces, where I injured myself twice and then had a bit of a, um, what I would call a shocker, uh, where a couple of us got failed for something. Um, and I ended up going back a third time and was found to have my hearing was in not the best shape. So I was told that that's the sort of end of my career. I was working with the recruits at the time and then the England football team visited the commando training centre and I had the privilege of being selected to work with the team and that kind of opened up a new pathway for me where I thought, well, I'm I'm leaving the military. Um, I'm training recruits, which has given me all my leadership coaching qualifications and, and constructor qualifications and now... You know, I've made some pretty cool friends with some of the players and management in the England football team. And, and I thought, well, why can't I apply some of that to the civilian world and try and adapt some of the commando mindset and go and apply mm-hmm. it to companies? So I went into like leadership training, resilience training, started our first business with Anne, who's my business partner now, um, started writing for Penguin around this mindset, around self-leadership. And it was during this period that we started working with some amazing companies Um you know, one of the world's biggest banks. We started doing work with Facebook. We went back to sport and worked with England again. Um, and all in coaching and helping managers and leaders better connect with their employees. And so we were just building this really nice um, lifestyle business. That's all it was. There was no tech involved. It was just us going around coaching and doing workshops. And then the pandemic came in 
and we were like, oh, well, this sucks because it was going <laughs> so well. But no one, no one wanted coaching anymore, or at least not for now. And we kind of sat back and we thought, you know, we could do something bigger here. We either mm-hmm. sit back and watch, and we, we have a saying in the Marines, we wear our laurels, we never rest on them. They're part of the cap badge that you wear on your green beret. And so we could have sat back through the pandemic and thought, oh, we'll just count our beans and hopefully we'll get through it, or we do something. And we knew, everyone knew that well-being and, and engagement and leadership was the talk of the town because the pandemic had kind of ensured that that was brought to the yeah. top of the list and it kind of stayed there. And we thought, well, we then noticed the gap that we were seeing a lot of when we were working in the physical space, which was this disconnect between managers and their employees and why there is quite a lot of resentment around that and why people don't get on with their managers, but then the manager's ill-equipped and doesn't have the understanding of, you know, to really elevate their leadership. So they can be the leaders they deserve to be. And we had immense experience in this field. Mm -hmm. There was a problem there. And then we thought, well, there must be a technical solution to help automate some of that process, which is how we ended up founding Lupin to, to be where we're at mm-hmm. today. And, you know, that that's ultimately where it came from. Okay, very cool. So I see. So I see what's the the steps in the journey there were. So obviously you had your experience from the Marines and leadership experience, and then you were providing a service, essentially doing coaching, um, helping other leaders. And then through that, getting the lessons based on which you then built uh, the software yeah. company, which is, it just, it's really cool because you got the, the actual experience, hands-on experience and, you know, the, the, the problems that you saw in the industry from those uh, big clients uh, that you were then able to go and uh, address with technology. And I want to get back to that. But before that, I want to come back to something else that you mentioned. So you mentioned earlier that, you know, being in the Marines, that it was a good preparation, that, that, there, that there are several similarities, right, between doing that and uh, being a founder. And and I agree, but I also think, so a few years ago, six, seven, six, five, six years ago, um, I was working with a coach who was also, I think he used to be in the special forces in the US. And that was the first time that I was, that was actually that I was closely working with somebody with that kind of experience. And it really made me think because he also sometimes told me some stories from his experience in the military and all my problems, my job seemed like a joke. I was like, everything I do, I, like I sit in front of my laptop all day. It's like, you know, I'm not gonna die. Nobody on my team is gonna die. I sleep at night in my bed. I wake up, you know, whenever I want to wake up when my alarm alarm rings, there's no going to be not going to be any explosions around me, etc., 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 right? And there's it really put things in perspective for me. Um to an extent mostly in a positive way, I would say, because when you for me when you put things in that kind of perspective nothing seems stressful anymore it's like well you know whatever i do it's like it's fine everything's gonna be okay don't <laughs> there are no massive problems that can happen day to day for for me at my job um but then to in in another way it also seems like like well you know what i'm doing is it even important it's like i love what i do and you know there's always an impact that you make uh but it there's it just feels in a way, I don't know what's the right word to say. I don't want to say meaningless, but 
it's very, very different, right? Let's just say it's very, very different. And I'm wondering how you see that. So you've done a little bit of both now, obviously, well, a lot of both, not a little bit of both. Uh, you've experienced both of those worlds. Uh, just wondering what are your thoughts around that? I, I have this utmost respect for founders because I don't think we, I don't think many of the founders community realize the respect I think that's required for them for the for the journey they've decided to take on and i think there's so many similarities right um it's interesting because people do say this quite often it's like oh the moment you have a conversation about war zones it kind of puts it all into perspective and it's like yeah because no one in the business world is trying to kill you but there's a lot of people out there still willing to stab you in the back and there's still a lot of people mm. out there who can cause you horrific amount of stress and there's a lot of people out there who will want to try and see you off in some way um so it's not necessarily about life and death and it's more about the like the extreme reality of stress and i think um the military is very good at equipping you with resilience and it's not even the military that equips you with resilience it's the the encounters you have in you know things such as combat and stuff that then equip your ability to then be more resilient in very difficult moments mm -hmm. and i've had some situations i've been in where you know you're just waiting for the bullet to hit you um i've been blown up a couple of times and you, you kind of come from your concussion and you wonder if you're alive or you're dead um and there's some some really extreme things that happen but they happen in spikes. So this is the way I kind of say it to other founders. And, and I was actually having a chat with a very, very respected VC the other day about this. And he, the moment I said to him, sometimes it would be nice to be back in Afghan just for a bit of R&R &R away from this. He was like, uh -huh. whoa, <laughs> I, I hear that from a lot of people, maybe less about Afghan, but just the break and how hard it is and all that stuff. And he kind of, you know, he, he made a very good point around well, have you experienced warfare or some hideous disease or something similar that's really questioned your life or threatened your life? And he's like, and then he said it was interesting for me to say it, he's experienced both. Mm -hmm. And the, the way I sort of put it across to him was, and other people I speak to is, war is like an up and down. So it will happen. It'll be an extreme circumstance. It could last a few hours. It could last a couple of days and then it'll drop off. And then you'll just be cooking food or cleaning um, your weapon uh i'd say relaxing but your adrenaline le levels have come right right down then it'll kick off again and then they'll go back up and you spend six to seven months doing that what i think we don't realize that founders experience is this constant adrenaline stress rush which isn't mm. good it's really bad because you're you're excreting adrenaline and cortisol around your body which your body's not meant to be experiencing in a 24-7 way of being. It's there for fight or flight or freeze. And so your body is inclined to be more reactive to it. But if we're going through it the whole time, it's just this constant stress and you're never switching off. And then the impact on your physical and mental health is quite huge. So I think there's something to be said around you can compare it to a very difficult warlike situation that those people have gone on to do like myself. But we also signed the dotted line to go and do that. We agreed to sign up. We agreed that we'd put our life on the line and we agreed that there is an intense amount of risk to what we're doing. You survive it, hopefully, and then you come back. And then and then that doesn't become a reason to then go around telling the world 
how awesome you are and that what you do is rubbish compared to what we do because we've lived in the most extreme circumstances mm -hmm. it's how you actually take some of those lessons and learnings and transition it across which i think i have the privilege of doing because i've done both now i'm doing both and and i love talking to founders just just to just to hopefully ensure that they know the real reason as to why they're doing it because when it gets hard which it does get hard within two minutes of writing your business plan and going on the venture um that that in itself will prove to you what you want and why you want it because you'll be pushed so hard mm. that those which don't want it will get off quite quickly and and i think founders still going as you have that resilience and they're not comparable war and found founders life are very different things but they have very very similar psychologies um i think it's quite interesting it's a fun interesting conversation to have I want to get back to those, like the, the, what are the differences and what are the lessons? Um, I used to live in Switzerland for four years. And one of the reasons why I moved out of Switzerland was because life there felt too easy. In Switzerland, everything is perfect. It's like the, the promised land where, you know, things just work. Um, everything is super clean. Uh, everything is public transport is great. The medical system is great. Everything's amazing. Standard of life is great. Um, but, and this is, this is very hard to explain. Most people don't understand it when I say, when I tell this to them, um, some people who also live or used to live in Switzerland, they understand it, but I felt like I was being too spoiled. I felt like life was a little bit too easy. I said, if I'm going to live in Switzerland for too long, I just won't be able to live anywhere else because nowhere else is going to be good enough or nice enough or easy enough so i moved to london it's <laughs> london is a slightly more rough uh, still i mean it, it, an incredible city uh, i love london in all possible ways but it's, it's not as easy or it's not as um nice as switzerland and i like that um there's there's this phrase that goes something like uh, um easy times create soft man soft man create hard times hard times create strong men, strong men create easy times or something like that or something along those lines, right? Have you heard of it? Do you, do you think there's some truth yeah. to it? I, uh, I like the, uh, I don't even think it was said by anyone. I think I sort of stumbled across a sentence. Um, but hardy sailors weren't met, weren't made in calm seas. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. it's, yeah. you have to, the inoculation of pressure and stress is, stress is a good thing. You know, um, mm. we call it shared hardship. Uh, I think that's a difficult thing for founders is you can't really, with too many people, share the hardship apart from the community. And even everyone's community, even everyone in the community has slightly different things um, because they're working on slightly different problems. Like your market's harder than my market and uh, B2C is harder than B2B and all these things. So everyone's got their own kind of different almost like loneliness everyone's siloed within the same company uh, community it's really interesting but going back to that point around being around tough and difficult things i think is a good thing to be encountering um it's not to it's not the go to war or well i need to be around some horrific disease or something and i need to have life threatening conditions to show me what the meaning of life is to then go back and apply it Resilience is built and that ability to do these types of pushing yourself is built on the outside of your comfort zone. So 
and they can be done in the most minimal task. So you moving from Switzerland to come to London is deemed as moving from your comfort zone, facing a bit of fear and going into a city you don't really know, which has got a harder nose about it and is a bit of a pushy, shovey place to live. So you're outside your comfort zone, then it's down to you to then go and learn and grow through what you're putting yourself into as discomfort. Um, I love I love rephrasing um, one of the founders of a, a clothing company, which started by some special forces guys uh, called Through Dark. Um, great bunch, you know, great, great guys, which went on to do are doing some awesome things. And they say get comfortable being uncomfortable. And I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't mm-hmm. need mean you need to be constantly uncomfortable i love comfort i love a bag of crisps and maybe a couple of beers on a friday night sat at home in my pants gone are the days of clubbing i've got two kids and i'm a founder i'm quite happy with my friday evening to myself um but it's comfort but there's other places to be uncomfortable to really push yourself you know what are you doing physically what are you doing mentally how can you learn from it what do you get from it in order to better you moving forward And, and you would have got that from yourself and i think there are a lot of people quite happy to sit in comfort. I say happy to sit in comfort. They're willing to sit in comfort, but secretly want to be outside of that zone so they can achieve mm-hmm. things as well. And like you look at founders, they are definitely people who have, you know, ditched the comfort to go for uncomfortable, complete uncertainty in against what often is these shitty statistics we all have to live with around oh, 95% of you are going to fail <laughs> and nothing works and there's only the one unicorn which will swan out the rainbow. Like, I think there's some real bollock stuff out there where it tries <laughs> to throw us off for the sake of it. Um, you, you can outwit those statistics. You can beat those statistics and you can fulfill the dream by sticking with it and having the resilience to adapt, change, overcome, change the business model, change the product, change the business fuck the business off do another business the whole point of view is becoming <laughs> successful as a founder um and the and obviously the problem you're obviously hopefully devoted in changing um you'll always find a will and a way won't you if you're that devoted in changing it so i think that's where it comes in and you have to constantly stay in that position of willing to be uncomfortable you know getting comfortable mm. being uncomfortable and i think that's such a a big character building part of doing what we all do mm-hmm. that's it's funny because we actually got into that same conversation with ash as well that was in the previous yeah that was just the previous episodes um and we were talking about um kind of more analytical approach towards decisions versus just following your gut right uh, i tend mm-hmm. to be more analytical he tends to be a bit more intuitive and um, I think the kind of conclusion that we got is like, yeah, you should follow your gut feeling that that's often the right thing to do, as long as you're not avoiding something because of your fear, right? That's that's a big difference there. Um, if if your gut is telling you don't do it, you need to be careful that it's not don't do it because I'm scared or because I feel awkward. If you feel awkward about something what made a big difference for me personally in my life was when I kind of reframed that if I feel awkward about something, I should do it. That's that's the thing that I definitely should do. And I sometimes do something awkward, even if I don't really need to do it, even if it's a little bit unnecessary, just to kind of train my mind to, <laughs> to do the awkward or the difficult things to, yeah, to train myself to actually go in that direction. Um, what are, so what would you say that are the, the big lessons that you took from 
you know, your military experience um, that you applied to business or did you think is the most relevant in business? Um, well, the first one sort of aligns to what you finished on just then, which is, I, I remember almost exactly the same as what you said, but a corporal of mine in training who I, I, no one really likes their corporal in training, but secretly you love them as well. You know, they're, they're, they're thrashing you until you cry and they're trying to get rid of you the whole time. And then finally at the end of training, they'll, they'll shake your hand and yeah, that's the way it is. But obviously the world is not like that. And the Marines, we, we coach and we mentor people to become great Marines. We don't kick them out. Mm. Um, but it feels like at the time they're trying to get rid of you. But yeah, one of my corporals, um, said to me, if you think you should be doing it, do it. And I think that's forever stuck with me since being that young week eight recruit all the way through to 10 years into the career. And then on, on even what I'm doing now, if you think you should be doing it, doing it, do it. Like it's very easy to get quite tired at home, especially in hybrid. It's I'm quite productive at home, but when I hit my wall, I hit my wall. Um, and as a founder, I think again, there's this stigma that you've got to sleep under the desk or work 24 seven. You have no life. You must make a pot noodle last the whole month. Um, and all the other shit data that goes with it but there are points where you think oh i might be a bit foot off the gas here i might be being a bit lazy and then you think about something and you go right i should be doing that like let's just go and do it and i think that's like very simple um way of looking at it it's a very simple if i think i should be doing it do it you know and that can can down from a very very sort of small thing all the way through to the big things like is the team too big or are we going in the wrong direction? Is our spending too high? I think it should be lower. Well, if you think it should be lower, it should be lower. Find a way of making it lower. Mm -hmm. I think the team's a bit too big. Well, find a way of making the team smaller because you think it's too big. And that kind of, that's where gut instinct, I believe actually meets intuition, uh, meets, sorry, logic and, and mm -hmm. that kind of more analytical side of our brain. Um, so there's that one. I, I, there's so much there's so much from my military career that I think I bring across just just like randomly and I don't even speak about it you know random things like getting up early in the morning through to mm -hmm. the ability to stay resilient I also think uh, one of our one of our biggest values in the Marines um, is humility and humility to us as Marines men respect the rights decisions and thinking of other people and there's something quite um, funny about this because uh, the Royal Marines still to this day make up over 70% of all UK Special Forces operators. So the SBS, SAS and SRR, um, who themselves are the most respected Special Forces in the world. Now, when you think you're part of a regiment, which roughly only has around 7,000 people to maybe 8,000 at a good point, um, 70% of the entire UK Special Forces have been made up from your group of people. You know, people know what the Green Beret represents. People have this kind of stigma related to what a commando does. We have a, an immense history and we are formidable. But if you let arrogance get in the way of that, you will never continue to learn as a Marine. And the idea about being a Marine is to be able to step outside your world, outside your comfort zone, listen and hear other people and go back and take what you need to take back and apply it because you're never at the top of your game because you can always step across and learn something new in a different vertical of life and then come back and apply it. And the Marines are amazing at that. 
And for me as a founder, it could be quite easy to come out the, the blocks and say, well, I've been in the core for 10 years. I've you know, done all the badlands and experienced some really horrible things. I'm really tough. Um, oh, now I've done this coaching business, which we've made profitable and was worth this much money. And yeah, we, we merged it. We didn't sell it, um, but I built a business. So I know all that stuff. And now I'm going to build a product and you're going to use it. It could be very easy to do it that way. Or you could come across it from the angle of, I know nothing and I need mm -hmm. to continuously learn something. Mm -hmm. And one of our investors came in uh, and one of his stipulations was, guys, it's going to get lonely at the top. You need an executive coach to ensure that you're able to transition your military leadership into civilian leadership. And you know, that could have pissed a few people off quite quickly, especially ex-military guys. You're going to be like, I know how to lead. <laughs> um, but it didn't. I, I, Anthony and I were both like, gunning for it like couldn't wait to be like yeah show me what we don't know show me how to treat my team how do i fire someone how do i hire someone hopefully mm. that way around otherwise you're losing people quicker than you're hiring them um and and everything else in between and have the humility to listen to people who hate your product and have the humility to listen to mm, the problem might not be this it might be this and actually listen and learn to move and i think that's where we've I think we've had some of our successes is having that mindset. And so there's the whole courage, there's the whole, you know, bravery thing that's associated with who we are as individuals. But I think the biggest thing that I've brought across is that humility piece to try and learn as much as I can from people, which I respect. Very interesting. Okay. So humility, uh, funny enough, so I'm, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be hosting somebody two weeks from now who just lost around a million euros building a new product. They've built several products in the past, all of them reasonably successful, not huge, but reasonably successful. And I think they got a little bit overconfident about what they can do. And they said, all of the previous products, we spent as little amount as possible on them. We built an MVP, we were you know, taking small steps, being like really frugal in terms of how we were building it. And then this one product, we spent a million euros until we realized that there's never, no, we're never going to make it profitable. And then they had to shut it down. Mm -hmm. So um, kind of, you know, uh, the point that you were making, um, if you don't keep that humility, even after so many successes, even in business, there's still so much to learn, right? And there's still, it's still so important to take that uh, beginner's mindset and um, not think that you're, super smart and that you know everything it's constantly a beginner's mindset and and if you find yourself in a room where you you seem to be the one who knows it all change the room really fucking quickly mm -hmm. like get in that room where you feel stupid and you're having to learn it all again like that for me is critical to staying on top of what we do and that might even come down to your team you know mm, people are at their limit here are they now the right part people for the right journey uh, or this part of the journey and, and product investment capital it all comes into it you know uh, humility wise if I did it all again I'd do the first part of our journey that we've done and we're only in our baby steps first 18 months um, I do I think I do pretty much 100% of it differently <laughs> and I'd happily do it differently like, mm. like no ego in it nothing just like yeah definitely not do that again and I definitely won't do that again and um I think that's maybe what makes founders founders is that 
the first one might not work, the second one might not work, but the third one works because if you have that humility, you can make those changes along the way that ultimately helps you create basically not the perfect, but the kind of near to perfect model that you've probably been trying to build over the last few years. So it's definitely key. Mm -hmm. Related to this, so if I understand, I have not read your book, but I, I think if I understand correctly, it talks about the mindset of the, the title is Commando Mindset, right? Yeah. Yeah. So let's, well, then I'll just ask a question. What, what is a Commando Mindset? Commando Mindset is a particular way of thinking to achieve mission success. Now, it's very easy to immediately assume without reading the book that it's the mindset of a raw Marine and how you can apply it to your life. Essentially, although it contains elements of that and some anecdotal experiences, it, it, my view on the commander mindset is the people that manage to get to the gate to even start the journey. So you, you, you have to get yourself by through your own preparation, fit enough, healthy enough, and in some ways have a strong enough mindset or that kind of helps as you go through training, you get helped a little bit of that. Um, to be in the position ready to start the toughest military course we have in the UK and then, you know, uh, near to globally. Um, you've had to do all that preparation yourself. And there's a lot of people that get to that gate, which I'm pretty obsessed with, with the ones which carry on on the journey and the ones that completely give up within a few weeks, months, even a year of training, they, they give up. And I like looking at those people which manage to get themselves to the gate that's what you just managed to get to the start line to begin the journey. Mm -hmm. Because when you get to the start line, the rest of it's kind of paved there for you. You just mm -hmm, got to take mm -hmm. the steps to do it. And I look at that as part of the commando mindset that enables people to not, not think about doing the journey, but begin the journey, start the journey. The uh -huh. founders are again, a, a fantastic example of that. A commando yeah. mindset is exactly the same as a founder's mindset. Yeah. There's those which, wish they could start a business and think they have a great idea to yeah. those that put the fucking pen on the paper and go and yeah. do it. Yeah, and they're the ones the I difference. kind of obsess yeah. over. Yeah. That's exactly who I believe contain that commander mindset. They have a particular value system. They're driven. They step out of their comfort zone. They have courage, tenacity, all those, those things that become the DNA for what you ultimately need to, to be any success in life whether that's uh, in the founding world, tech world, business, love, friendship, is you have to have that. Uh, and and commander mindset speaks to those people which dare take the first few steps um, and not to those which don't, <laughs> which can exclude a lot. <laughs> True. <laughs> and how does one train to obtain that kind of commando mindset because i think often well we talked a little bit about you know for the experience that brings you to or that helps you build that resilience or that helps you become that person because you need to become somebody right to have that yeah that sort of mindset so what's 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 the journey together i think there's a lot of people probably who um are listening to a podcast and they really recognize themselves in what you just said right now uh there are people who are who are actually running a business or at least very actively working on it and building something and trying to make it happen and then there's a typically a vast majority of people who are just like they want to but they don't really so what's the what's the path to train or, or you know to obtain that mindset well the, 
yeah, there's two. There's going to be two types of people which listen to this podcast, it, as in like largest demographics. There's going to be those which want to go and do it, and then there's like you said, the ones that are, are on it on journey. And I, huge respect to every single person who's on the journey. Um, for those people, which is you know people like myself, we're constantly in those daily battles. We're constantly in those grinds. You're having those ups and downs and those mini wins, and there's those losses. Um, I talk a lot about this thing called exposure equals composure. And the more you expose yourself to a situation, the more resilient, I suppose, you become within that situation, but more aware of yourself within that situation. So for me, like I always recall the first time I ever came into a combat situation and was shot at, all my training went out the window. And then I ended up headfirst in a ditch, almost hiding from the experience and thinking to myself, fuck, like, I've just done everything that you're not supposed to do um, to then pull myself out of the ditch and the water to find most of the other guys have done the same for some reason. And there was one person on the track fighting toe to toe with the enemy shooting at one another 50 meters away. And I don't know how anyone didn't get hit the enemy and that person um, very frantic, chaotic situation. And I remember he looked down at the ditch and he, and he just shouted, check your flashes. And the flashes, the material um, writing we wear on our shoulders that say Royal Marines Commando, they're called flashes and they're associated to the ethos and the values. It's a very quick checkmate to make you realize that you've done everything wrong and you need to remember what you stand for. And that got me into the battle quite quickly. Um, And why that matters is because you understand your adrenaline response and your fear response in those situations. And then you get into the fight and then you experience the fight. And then and then it happens again. Like even that day we were hit four times and each time you got hit, you got a li- little bit more composed with the near death experiences. And it's not nice, but what you learn to do is regulate yourself so you can actually think with more clarity over emotion. Um, and then that goes on through your career, you know, in and out of these operational experiences and even training experiences in some occasions where you're so composed in the situation, even though everything inside's like, fuck, outside and rationally thinking you can deal with the situation so and the reason i say that is because those that are listening who are on the journey are experiencing those moments of exposure almost every hour that when they learn from them well and when they apply themselves correctly and rationalize every situation they actually become more composed the first time you speak to an investor you're like, oh, hi, can I have all your money? And I'm really scared of what to say to you and I want to please you. A year down the line, you realize, that, hang on, it's my business. You invested your capital into my business. I respect your decisions. I listen to your decisions, but ultimately I need to make the right decision for the business and I won't be scared mm. of what was basically something that didn't exist in the first place if you've got great investors involved like we have. Um, but it's easy to fall into that. So you, you end up exposing yourself to lots of difficult situations along the way to then ultimately become more composed as you move forward the caveat to that one is there's the other group of people which are listening to this podcast who have a great idea who think they can go and do it but they've not yet dared to take the steps forwards so they're lacking in that exposure so they're almost in that first battle i was in where i have no composure to deal with this first moment of stress and difficulty which is just starting it nothing can prepare you more for the journey than actually starting the journey and getting on with it. Because that mm-hmm. the moment you start doing that is the moment that you begin to work on your arsenal of 
things that help you along the way. You become more composed and more resilient to the difficult situations and the conversations and you just grow as an individual. You know, some mm -hmm. of the greatest founders we all look up to who we just think the world shines out of their asses all had their first day where they did not know what the fuck was going on, what they were doing, how to do it, mm -hmm. scared of life and then just grew over time. And I think that's the biggest thing. You've got to just go out and start experiencing it, which will then ultimately build that resilience in you as you go along. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, check your flashes. I need to get back to that. That sounded like an incredibly powerful thing to say. It's three words and it sounds like it just completely made a switch in your mind when you heard that. Is there, do you have a, a version of flashes in your life now? Is there something that you, is there anything symbolic that you have that kind of reminds you of, um, you know, why you do what you do? Yeah, so I, I, it's less about why I do what I do and more about who I am. Um, uh -huh. So my, my green beret still sits on my desk here. So it's uh -huh. not it's not all framed and put up nicely on the wall that maybe some others do. I just like it plonked there because it reminds me just of, I can touch it, I can feel it of what I've achieved. Um, there is, there isn't, there isn't so much a check your flashes in the sense of war fighting and reminding yourself of a set of values. But I do regularly look at that thing and, and just remind myself of, what I've achieved and who I am as an individual mm. to get me to where I am today, which I believe probably helps with some of, some of the more difficult decisions to make and even just coping with it. And actually, sometimes I look at it and go, well, no one's trying to kill me today. So shut the laptop and the world can piss off for a couple of hours. And, the, <laughs> and that's just the way you have to deal with it. The other one, mm. check your flashes is values based, it's ethos based, but Another value we have is, or it's more of a spirit, is cheerfulness in the face of adversity. And I try to bring that into our business as much as possible because it's, and, and not laughing at all the difficult things, but if you don't have humor in a tough situation, the situation is going to laugh at you. Um, and especially as a, mm -hmm. in a founder's world, like when you're constantly, there's, there's way more losses than there is wins. And you're mm -hmm. constantly questioning while you're on the journey. And when will this get easier? And no one says anything nice about anything. It's very difficult. It's it's so easy to just question everything. And I don't. I think if you just don't have that ability to look inside and just go, "Oh, this is shit," laugh at it, and then find a way to resolute it. You know, find that mm -hmm. resolution to get through it. Then you're never really going to make it because I think it's those which can just be like, "Wow, this is really crap." but at least I can see a little bit of humor in it to push me forward. So I think check your flashes still exists, probably not as a business, but more for me internally. Um, but cheerfulness in the face of adversity is something you've got to get used to very quickly. <laughs> and I don't mind that one. <laughs> Love it. But yeah. so my, my version of flashes is I have some photos right here next to me on, on the wall next to where I typically work. And those are the photos of some of the the best moments in my life, the ones that were actually caught on camera, right? Some of them are just a very simple, pure coincidence, but something I'm really grateful for. For a mem it's a moment that I'm really grateful for, for for to have that in my life. Some are actually some things that I worked really hard for, right? And I'm, I'm just proud of 
achieving that. And it's, it's kind of similar to what you said. It's just, I, I look at that and it's like, partially, it's kind of like, man, good job, you know, you, you, you've done that. That's, that's well done. And partially just, I don't know, gives you some kind of meanings. Like, well, that was a really great moment. I want to have more moments like that in my life. And that's what I want to be working towards. And it kind of reminds me of why I'm putting in the effort uh, as well as um, just reminds me to spend my time wisely, I suppose. It's it's exactly that. And we all, you know, I, I could quite quickly go back to places like Afghanistan and say, oh, that's that mm. day reminded me of what, the fragility of life and don't get me wrong that I still have that um but it, it's it comes out a different light sometimes you know I, I'm a big Ricky Gervais fan I'm a big office fan um and I like the way Ricky talks about life and the, the meaning of it and I, I listened to his podcast with um his on Russell Brands the other day and they were talk. They were both kind of arguing about who's right and wrong over spiritualism and God and atheism, and it's it's an interesting listen. But a very, you know, a point of synergy they both had was you can't remember anything before and you can't remember anything afterwards. So just try and make the most of what you're remembering now. Um, and we all, I say we all, don't want to paint everyone with the same brush, but I, I'm guilty of it as well. It's very easy to stay on the train of what's next, as opposed to sort of mm. consider what's been. And we did this in our early days of um, our first business. We had some amazing successes. Like we worked with some incredible people, incredible business, and we never once took it in. We just, what was next? What's, what's, mm-hmm. what's next to achieve? And that's good because it drives hunger, but you never reward yourself. And it kind of, you get that gold medal syndrome where, oh, you've won the race now. You hear it from founders all the time who have made it. Like I sold my company and then yeah. I was just fucking depressed. Um, yeah, and I try to pinch myself of that all the time because I know I will be successful. It's just in in how I will be successful. But what I don't want to do is reach that success and then just go, "Well, this is shit." It's all about the journey, and that's why you have to have the cheerfulness in the face of adversity. Sometimes that's why you do need to check your flashes with those images of the things that you've been through before and the things that make you proud of who you are and why you're on the journey as a person, as opposed to the problem. And just check yourself like quite often about what you should be proud of and what you can learn from. And again, going back to those statistics I mentioned earlier, like what is it? Ridiculous amounts of over 80% of businesses fail or something sad like that. Um, I think that still bugs me a little bit, that one, because it almost puts a downer on anything anyone's ever tried to achieve who's had a failed business where if you look at a failed business how many jobs did that open up you know yeah you lost a bit of capital for someone who probably dared put their money into your business well look at that as pride that you had a great idea that someone wanted to invest in and that you were an investable person and you built a team and you poured 10 jobs into the area over 10 months and Mm -hmm. you actually created mvp and you got no technical experience whatsoever and you sold your first contract and it didn't work. It didn't work. But you've got all those things that you achieved that you never thought you could achieve. And now you're going to do it again. And then you'll do it again. And I think that's, they're the bits we miss. That you, we're all doing great stuff in the world. Whether your product's successful or not. You're giving people jobs. You're giving people hope. You're helping things. You'll probably provide for one customer who fucking enjoys what you do. And the rest <laughs> is maybe not. And, and that's what it's about. And 
think we high, hold the bar a little bit too high sometimes, which causes inevitable failure as opposed to just enjoying the journey and well, I've become a unicorn, you become a unicorn, but what about making a nice business and helping some people along the way? Mm-hmm. Very well said. <laughs> <laughs> Contradicting everything. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. But, you know, I've talked to all sorts of founders uh, on the podcast and outside of the podcast, and it's... Um, the VC way is not the only way, right? Uh, yeah. It's not for everyone. And it's definitely not the only way to build a, build a business. So um, it's it's one option. It's definitely an interesting, exciting option, but it's also not most definitely not the the only one. Um, so yeah, um, I could ask so many more questions, but I also want to be respectful of your time. I know that we're already running a little bit over. Go for it, um, honestly. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, if my wife starts shouting at us, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we're gonna take that as a as a signal that that's that 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 then we went really over <laughs> over time. Yeah. Then it ends. <laughs> um, there's one specific question that I want to come back to, just related to, um, I suppose, the mindset going maybe like 15 minutes back to what we talked about before, which is fear, right? One thing that I see that I struggled about with a lot and I see that happening very often and you touched on that subject a little bit, but it's just fear of things, whether that's fear of failure or fear of being embarrassed or mm, I don't know, sometimes we're just, you know, especially as a founder, you're faced with so many fears so often it might be cold calling right that's a that's a typical example that sounds ridiculous but people are mm. terrified of cold calling it might be you mentioned hiring firing making major decisions um i thought about fear a lot because i i realized at some point in my life that it was a fear that was stopping me from so many things in life instead of actually going for it i was afraid and for no very good rational reason which being a very rational person that didn't make sense to, to me mm. um but at some point i came to realize that you need to be doing things despite of fear that like people who are courageous they they don't have no fear they just do things even though they're scared of something or worried about something what do you think about fear? What's what is fear, or how do you overcome it? I don't, you have to embrace fear. Fear can't be overcome. Um, hmm. I don't. Know, I'm, I'm not his biggest fan, but I did like what Grant Cardone said about fear, which is uh, false events appearing real. And I think that was like a big eye opener for me. Was all of us right now? Any everyone listening? you and I can vividly go back to situations where we've gone, oh, this is going to be rubbish. This is going to be shit. This is going to be awful. Oh, it's going to end in tears. And then you go through the process, whatever it is. And then even if it ends up failing or was still bad, it's never as bad as you built it up in your head. Mm. So it's like, oh, mm. yeah, that was... Unless it involves pain, then that can be different. different. But ultimately, when we're talking about psychological decisions, it's never as bad afterwards as it was before. I think there's also this... Um, human beings are very bad at being able to understand 
the body's response to fear and that the adrenaline response that we often have to fear is to in itself be feared. So the moment you think of a difficult situation or an awkward conversation you've got to have with someone or something that causes that um, that fear, your adrenaline response kicks in, your butterflies start, your throat will go dry, you start to fidget, you, you know, irrational responses will happen, like your knee will bounce or... It just you, you know what it's hap- you know what's happening so you'll you'll clench your fists and all sorts of things and and that all it is is your body is priming itself to have a fight or mm-hmm. try and get out the situation fight or flight um and we're very good at listening to that what we're not very good at listening to is the bit afterwards which i kind of almost like to coin as the success adrenaline which is you can build up to a situation. Cold calling is a great example. Like no one likes doing it. No one likes doing it. Um, you know, public speaking, very few people mm-hmm. like public speaking. I, I love getting up on stage and talking to people and giving a talk. Um, but I'll still get this massive adrenaline response beforehand. I'll, I'll, I'll instantly need a toilet. Um, I'll go to the toilet like three or four times beforehand. I'm nervous and adrenaline and, but I know on the other side of delivering that talk, I'm going to get a massive rush, which is a great mm-hmm. rush, which is exactly mm-hmm. the same rush you're getting beforehand, but you're associating it beforehand with fear and scared of the situation. But we've all gone and done that big thing that afterwards we've then gone, oh my God, they said yes. First off, they picked up the phone. <laughs> Second off, they mm-hmm. actually said yes, they would like to try the product. Oh, this is amazing. And then we have that great, adrenaline mm. rush and then it'll be the next thing oh we've got product steering group oh i've got a fear of them telling me how crap it is so i don't want to go on it so i just ignore it and then you go on it it's really good oh my god i said it's brilliant i'm loving it and the, the the point i make is that the same physiological reaction you're having beforehand when fear is present is exactly the same physiological reaction you're having after when the success has been felt the difference is that the psychological states change so when you're in fear, it's negative, it's irrational, it's emotional, uh-huh. mm-hmm. I'm scared of the situation. When you succeed or you pass that situation and you have that excited adrenaline rush, it's then positive. It's like, I knew I could do it. I knew it was a good product. I love it. It's that self-validation and all these things. But so many people get stuck on that first bit. And they get stuck there and they listen to it again and again and again repeatedly. And then they'll go, I'm just going to go and sit in my comfort zone. It's easy to be there Mm -hmm. because I don't have to put up with this bullshit that's in my head and my body. But the learners, the growers, the thrivers, the successful people in life are the ones, again, discomfort, getting comfortable, being uncomfortable, constantly embracing that fear, constantly moving out that comfort zone to achieve things. I don't like fear, personally, but you just learn to deal with it. You learn to cope with it. And again, going back to what I said earlier about exposure equals composure, the more you expose yourself to your fears... And those mm-hmm. difficulties, the more composed you'll be in dealing with those situations when you move forward. But you've got to jump. You have to leap, mm-hmm. otherwise you'll never learn. Yeah, so so a big part of it is recognizing and being aware that it always gets a little bit easier. Every time when you're exposed to that fear, it you push your boundaries a little bit and the next time it's going to be a little bit easier. And it's just exposing yourself to that helps you grow and it's going to make it better and easier in the future it get i wouldn't say the situation would get easier or your reaction gets easier but your coping gets easier mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Your ability to yeah. cope with the situation gets a little bit more bearable. I think bearable is a better word than easier. <laughs> bearable. Bear that's it. a better word, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Bearable. That's right. Um, can you talk a little bit more about your business? We mentioned it before, um, very briefly. Can you tell a little bit more about what, like, what it is? You already talked about this story, how you got to it, like, what's, uh, yeah. you know, how you got the idea and how, um, yeah, where the idea, what is the problem that it's solving? But uh, just can you t- talk a little bit more about what it actually is, what it does? Yeah, so uh, typical SaaS product, and we kind of we currently use Slack as an integration, and we're moving to. We're not moving, but doing Teams and the other ones later in the year and next year. The idea being is that we're integrated into where people work, uh, uh, currently work, and we want to understand how they are. So typical sentiment analysis. But the problem with sentiment analysis is lots of platforms that do it. What do you even do with that data and how do you make that data useful? Um, Mm -hmm. Asking someone how they are in the morning is great, but then what do you do when you've asked them how they are and what if they tell you something's wrong? that then has to become an action point. So that's Mm -hmm. a physical world thing. Now we're in the hybrid world and remote world. Um, We do need a more sort of technical solution to it. And so we we basically ask employees um, on a daily basis how they are really quickly, Mm -hmm. like just three boxes ticked and they're done. But we aggregate that data and we analyze that data to be able to make um, actionable insights basically automate actionable insights to come back to the manager so they actually get tips and almost uh, automated coaching on what to do. So mm-hmm. I, I personally believe the world's full of too many managers and lax leaders, but we live in a world where you need to be a manager and a leader. Um, and so we can be very process-driven, objective-driven, but what about the visionary, the, the authentic, emotionally intelligent person? We actually need more of them now in the world than anything else because... That's where our well-being within a team sits. That's where our retention sits within teams. Um, and that's ultimately where the culture grows. So we created a piece of software that enables managers to understand their people on a, on a more granular level and actually gives them the actions to help go and implement. So mm-hmm. that's from people not even using the product. Hey, this person's not even checking in at the moment. Why don't you have a catch up with them soon and talk about these points? all the way through to, you know, someone might be feeling low, they might be feeling burnt out. What do you do in that situation? How do you cope with that employee? All the way through to like great things, like this person's doing amazing things at the moment, send them some kudos. And we're helping managers elevate their leadership. So they're, they're pigeonholed less as managers, which I don't think is a very good term for them, and giving them the time and the resources to make them really impactful leaders within their teams. And if we can do that at a junior micro level, but across mm-hmm. a business, we can have a macro effect, and that's what we mm-hmm. built. Oh, you've been doing that for now. What is it about a year, two years? Is it started? Yeah, when the pandemic started, months. right? Kind of. Yeah, the sort of first six months, we didn't really do anything though. We just just threw things at the wall and played um, foot table football. Because apparently, if you watch the social, <laughs> if you watch the social network and play table football, you will build the next unicorn. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, so six months in, we were like, mm, we should probably start building a product. So if, we did have is that one of those? <laughs> <laughs> if, if you play table table football for long enough, inevitably a startup will appear around you. Is that how? It's exactly that. 
exactly that. That's why they call it <laughs> rarity happens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, the best yeah, best no, sort of advice. Uh... <laughs> yeah, what's the kind advice? Table talk on uh, social network. <laughs> Perfect. And so, uh, how is it going? You've you've raised some funding at some point. You, I think, you mentioned before. And how's in general? How's the business going? Yeah, it's good. We're still we 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 started generating a bit of revenue, but we're I think we're humble enough to say we're going to still class ourselves as pre-revenue. But we've got quite a lot of big stuff lined up for this year. Um, it's, it's the classic sort of every tech company built in the pandemic is probably still trying to find its way right now. I think the biggest problem we incurred, which we're now beginning to pivot out of, was we originally started with just sentiment analysis and we thought we were clever, which at the time I think uh -huh. we were. And we're like, let's understand how employees are because this is what the pandemic is going to drive. Yeah, this was going to do. And then clearly there was a multitude <laughs> of different companies also in the shadows thinking the same thing. Uh -huh. And also then all these other bigger companies, which probably hadn't had that great exposure up to the point, were now like needed and required. So that there was lots of buying happening. And yeah, when we were doing sort of our first kind of official investment round, it was like, oh, God, there's loads of other, these other products out there. This is shit. Um, how do we change things? But we built a great tool which which helps employees as well understand one another so promoting that peer-to-peer -peer support and we built a kind of social feed out of what we were doing and then we realized that we need to give managers less data which is what a lot of the products out there do right now and actually we need to give them more actionable insights that help them do mm -hmm. their job more efficiently so mm -hmm. it kind of turned into this automated coaching that is based off how your team are um, and that's where I've, now we've began to see a bit more traction in the sense of differentiating ourselves, adding that value proposition. And also, we're not well-being experts. That's not who we are as people. But we've got a hell of a lot of experience and very high up experience in leadership. And so, mm -hmm. well, how do you make that knowledge more accessible was where we put ourselves now, which is why we're starting to, I think, generate the conversations in the the projects that we're now setting out on but yeah i'll make no bones about it it's still the classic startup peril peril days of wondering oh this is questionable <laughs> how do we get to the next phase <laughs> i, but in, I fun, love right? the uh, that's part of fun yeah that's that's part of the journey right um yeah. i i love the idea though because it is often um it's it's hard to know how the employees feel it's hard to yeah. know what's you know what's on your mind uh, a lot of people are not really good at asking but even if you're good at asking a lot of people are not good at telling if something is a problem right or if, they, if they're not feeling well or not feeling engaged um it's funny enough somebody actually asked me if i know any product like that it, it might have been even someone on the podcast i know who it was i just don't remember it was on the podcast or offline uh, but they asked me for exactly what you guys are offering. They're like, do you know any tool that would be like super seamless? I don't want some separate software. I just want it to be on Slack. I want them to like ask the employees every morning or like every evening or whatever it was. Um, so I'll make sure to send it to them. Um, yeah, that would be great. It out. Uh, you, you, you mentioned a few things there. Yeah, send them our way. Anyone can download it. Like we, we've got this... Uh, big 33 seats offering at the moment as well so anyone listening who wanted to just give it a go just go to letslupin.com and let's loopin without the g we'll, we'll, we'll put a link in the description yeah find the link but um 
going back to what there's a, there's a couple of things that kind of what what really drives me insane, right? So insane. But what does annoy me is is kind of parallel to what we had in the military. So in the Royal Marines, um, when I became a commando instructor, which allowed me to take the recruits through training, I remember being vividly told there's no bad recruits, there's only a bad instructor. Now, there's always the anomaly who turns up who, for some reason, has his boots on the wrong feet, cannot get himself dressed, and is just struggling with life. You know, they're medically fit, they're sane, so we, we're not offending anyone there, but they just struggle with life. So we just, we, we turn them around and say, look, go and do something different. Um, ironically, go and be a founder because probably you're going to find ways of finding solutions to your own problems. So you'll probably do very well. Um, but and, and I've come across those people. But the rest of them, they have this deep-rooted belief that they're going to make it. And so it's down to you as an instructor to ensure that they do make it and that they make it at the quality expected. And so it's not the recruit. The recruit has to push themselves continuously to get to the standard but you have to show them the standard and you have to mm-hmm. emulate the standard. So mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. no, there's never a bad recruit. There's only a bad instructor. And so, and that, that comes down to the blame game. If you've got a shit troop and everyone's like, Oh, the troop are really rubbish. It's like, nah, come on guys. You know, it's down to the instructors, which is mm-hmm. gladly a rarity. The reason I say that is you can go to many, and I've done this myself. You go to lots of workshops, do some online conferences and go, Hey, put your hand up. If you've ever had a bad manager, everyone puts their hands up. Like everyone, mm-hmm. like yeah, oh god, mm-hmm. they can remember the face, they can remember the name. Imagine putting that data together and going, "Who here's had a bad manager?" Everyone puts a hand up. Are you telling me that every single person has encountered a terrible manager? That's even saying something that we got something deeply wrong with how we have employees and how we train employees um, to become managers. Or there's something really, really missing, which is it's not the people; it's the people are. Lo- most likely ill-equipped, time poor, and under immense pressure that they can't efficiently do their job properly. So what do we do to develop leaders? And and I know this, and this is why we build from experience, is we used to run these workshops. So we, we, we secured an amazing contract a year, two years ago, which was six figures, to train a couple of thousand people in, in low-level leadership. And the mm-hmm. idea being was to connect them better with their employees. So thousands of these people got pushed through our program which was one workshop three months later it was a drop-in surgery workshop six months later it was a round-off workshop so over three months uh, over six months half a year you've had three touch points with these people delivering this message of leadership that you hope that they then take back to the workplace and they deliver well and they, and then they continue they be these great leaders out of the blue now we then got the data back, which said, hey, guys, you two as deliverers, um, instructors, you, you've come in like the top 10 percentile of the company uh, of the global uh, suppliers list. We were like, wow, that's amazing. And this is a very big company. We're like, we're the best mm-hmm. in the world. High five. No humility. Um, and they were like, sad news is engagements dropped by another 10 percent. And we were like, hmm. OK, so is that us or is that you? And then there was this great discussion and we actually workshopped it was that what's lacking is consistency and regular practice. And so what we do is we throw everyone onto courses and Mm -hmm. we go, let's spend a couple of hundred thousand or or near to millions. So the UK alone is losing around 84 billion alone to, 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 to poor management, they call it. 
Um, the US is actually slightly less, but the US is spending more on leadership development and they're spending near to $550 billion. That's how much has been spent on leadership development. But you look at the data and you still see that there is an absolute failing in in leadership development having an impact. It's because we're throwing people at courses that most often they don't want to be on. They uh-huh. use days, they use workshops as days off. And then it's down to them whether they do the online courses and, uh-huh. and everything's just done too soft skill. What we're doing is we're bringing in the consistency that will give you nudges of what to do and when to do it based off how your team are at that point in time. So it's real time data informed advice that is actually going to help you yeah. lead the people that you lead. And that needs to happen over everything else that's going on. You can't just keep throwing people at courses. It's a, it's a necessity to do that. They need the frameworks and models, but they also need the ability to practice it. And that's what we've brought in. Do you, so do you combine that with courses as well? Or is it just the daily or the, the um, active, uh, how do you call it? Like the, the specific advice, what to do right now? So yeah, we've built in our own advice through our algorithms so we pick up mm-hmm. um you know nuances within the team that then it's algorithmically informed that brings the the resources back to the manager so we have our mm-hmm. own resources within there so like video content um and articles and resources we've got no courses yet because we don't the courses are quite labor intensive and also if you do one course of one company it's to probably produce them or... uh-huh. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. Where we're moving towards, though, is that third-party access so people can plug into us. Um, coaches will be able to put their material on what we do. You know, People will be able to design things within our product, but we're concentrating more on the real-time algorithms that can help inform mm-hmm. them on what to do mm-hmm. on their day-to-day. And then that's against then the company, which you know is hopefully still putting on leadership development that practices models, that teaches frameworks. So they kind of come hand-in-hand. But ultimately, Got it. yeah, what we want to get to is to be the um, all-rounded supplier of that. Got it. Okay. Okay, we got two more questions to wrap up. Uh, the yeah. first one is business ideas. Do you have any ideas to share with the listeners? And with me, maybe I'm going to steal one. Yay. <laughs> <I know. laughs> this is the, uh, and I li- I've listened to your podcast a few times now and I've been out running and... Um, I've heard a few people say about, oh, it's so hard being a founder because the moment you start one idea, you want to solve the next problem. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's two. I'll give you two. I'd say All right. Being, being generous. <laughs> one of them's not really, a, um, I suppose, an idea, but I think there should be more of a social network, which is, I don't want to say positive, but more related to nice things that are going on in the world. And they, and they aren't just discovered through a pick-me-up page in Instagram or a nice warm page on Facebook, because that means you're having to sift through the shit. Um, mm. there, there should be a platform out there which is more based on people supporting one another and be more emotionally connected, which I suppose mm-hmm. is what we're doing with Lupin. We may go that way one day, um, but we're doing it in the workplace. But you know, trying to have that impact on society that is allowing people to express themselves mm-hmm. uh, and have that impact on well-being and, and mental health. The the irony being is well it's not irony but the second idea is nowhere near that I think uh, I, I watched my I work. have a comment 
comment on the first one before you go on before we go to the second one. I saw recently a tweet from Paul Graham. So Paul Graham is the founder of Y Combinator, which is the most respected, yeah. if anyone doesn't know, the most respected startup accelerator in the world. They've created billions and billions and billions, or probably I should say hundreds of billions in um, in value in the startups that they've uh, that, that went through their programs. And uh, the reason why I'm saying that is he knows a thing or two about startups, I guess. And yeah. um, one thing that he said is his tweet was something along the lines of how what what can we do to make Twitter more positive? Because there's a lot of hate on Twitter and there's a lot of it kind of thrives on negative emotions, because if you say something controversial, if you say something negative that gets more attention, that, you know, triggers the algorithm, it goes viral. And it's kind of by design, it just works well if you're being more negative than positive, I suppose. Um, and he was like, yeah, if somebody can figure out how we can change, either change Twitter or build a platform like Twitter, but that's going in a more positive direction, that is probably a ginormous idea. If you can build that, if you can figure that out while still obviously keeping the engagement high and keeping you know people coming back, and that's obviously important for for the business to to be a, a, a successful and sustainable business. But yeah, very interesting. There's there there are other really smart people around who um, are pondering that idea as well. Yeah, it's a. I think it is a must, you know, that's something that we're trying to achieve with Lupin within companies. It's like, how can you normalize the, the behavior of being yourself? And we spend uh -huh. 70 to 80% of our time in the week at work. Um, you're not always going to be around people that you like, and you're not always going to get on with your manager. And it's not about that. It's not about creating a family, but where you can be a place where you can go to a place where it is safe to be like, I, I don't feel great today don't fire me for it like yeah yeah then then we're creating a better world and and you can have a societal impact through those means and we we, we have a vision that hopefully there will be a spin-off of lupin there'll be something unique to lupin that you can add your families to and your friends to and it creates a more uh -huh. sort of social impact to what we're doing but we have a long road ahead um but going going back to your point as well though i think it's, it's it is hard and, and this is probably why a lot of people haven't done it is to go down the positive i say positive more supportive route where mm -hmm. people are less like at your throat and more oh i can he can you imagine going on twitter and someone's put something really contradictive and everyone goes do you know what? i really i don't get where you're coming from but i empathize with what you're trying to say like that <laughs> when, would just not whenever be... whenever that happens somebody usually replies with like a shocking emoji and they're like hold on did i just see two people actually get along online that's <laughs> unheard of yeah like uh that, that there's a um the guy who pulls out really shocked face <laughs> game yeah. yeah he appears quite a lot as well but it, that's the trouble and you, you said it yourself you know is it human behavior or is it social over the last few years has made us enjoy negative outcomes so we like to chase it more and you know that's why the depth and the herd case has gone so big is because it's negative and it's gritty and it's grainy you want to know what's going on and you want someone to be outed you want someone to fail in it mm. uh, and and so on and so on you know everything's built around that so I, maybe that's why it's not happening maybe that's why no one's chasing it just yet and that's probably why we get 
in our early days, you know, you can't make that happen. You can't get people to talk about their emotions. You can. You just got to have less of a toilet attitude towards that and actually understand that people should be bringing themselves to work. And um, what if you could drive down suicide rates within the finance industry and the construction industry because you're allowing mm. stigmatized white British males to speak about their feelings in a demographic of people that they feel they don't fit into and, and vice versa. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's industries out there with uh, lone black females who are completely surrounded by white middle-aged males and probably feel quite alone. So what if you could actually empower people to come to work and be themselves and and say how they feel and be human, you, you'd have an incredible impact on Mm. society and, and hopefully the world so hopefully we at least trigger that if not try and solve yeah. some of that problem yeah yeah <laughs> very cool we'll get there. um i i don't know obviously what the solution what the solution is <clears throat> but very much supports that um and for people to work on it yeah yeah i won't mention my second one now because it will pr- we've just had a really good part <laughs> <laughs> the second one's just such a crap idea <laughs> yeah let's solve all societal problems and, and mental health and well-being and make people feel more human and then I'd also like to see an app where I can book a local hairdresser on the same app I can book a local nail <laughs> there we go <laughs> <laughs> is, is that not a that. thing yet not where I live <laughs> okay <laughs> Well, at least that's a simple one. So, you know, the first one was wildly ambitious. Um, it's going to take a lot of time and effort and capital. Yeah. Um, the second one might be one that, you know, somebody can maybe just pick it up and do it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Feel free to take it on. The irony being that I've got no hair and I'm... I can help a local hairdresser. <laughs> See, you will not be the best user, but... Um... <laughs> Our attention will be terrible. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, two truths and, and one lie. We need to get back to that. Which one yeah. was the lie? The lie was about signing the FTSE. Uh huh. But we have signed four. Now, what you said, <laughs> yeah. I, like, I might twist it slightly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I knew that you were probably close. <laughs> yeah, we signed four. I just didn't want to. So, but so yeah, I lied about that, and um, both yeah, my fa- both my founder and I were not technical, so we're uh-huh. trying to, mm-hmm. and maybe hopefully that can, dare I say, inspire other people who are listening. There'll be lots of people who aren't technical founders. Um, I think a big part of it is you need to go and find the people that you can surround yourself with, give a bit of a portion of your company away, or whatever it needs to be, and yeah, you know, bring people on the right journey with you. So. I had a long conversation about that with, was it two or three episodes ago with Daniel. Uh, he's, uh, he's also a SaaS founder, not technical, and we talked about that quite a bit. So if anyone's kind of struggling with that, with that or interested in that, um, I encourage you to go listen to that episode. Um, I have to ask one sub-question on that, though. So not, not on the not being non-technical, but on signing for FTSE companies. Um, is that... was what helped you to actually achieve that was that um you know your previous kind of coaching and consulting work that helped you get a foot in the door because it is quite a it's hard for a startup to actually you know achieve that right 
Yeah, I, I, our model's built in two ways. So what we're actually bringing into the product soon is um, a virality function. So we want we actually want people to express to their wider community, not just Looper users, of you know something that positive that they've done. So especially for leadership, LinkedIn's quite awash with people telling you how to do it. Whereas what if we could build in something that shows people as well? So we're, we're bringing in a sharing function that um, at the moment you could share something around what would be like a Spotify wrap up. So like really mm -hmm. aggregated anonymized data about how your team have been this week, you know, an impact you've had. And then you can also share some kudos back into, into mm -hmm. LinkedIn. Um, the reason I say that is because I think that's where our model is probably going to be more sit, sat towards because we do want to support more startups as they grow their companies. They need mm -hmm. to get their leadership right. And that's there are obviously most of them are on Slack as well. So that's part of it. Um, when it comes to the enterprise stuff is there is a hunger for enterprise. They want to get this bit right. They're looking to reduce their costs and um, they want when it comes to the millennial piece and Gen Z, this is becoming a more bigger topic for us because the millennials. So there's this current like fight at the moment that we're still trying to work out how to lead millennials. I'm a millennial, quite proud. You're born when you're born. Um, a lot of companies still trying to work out how to lead millennials. What they're not mm -hmm. realizing is 75% of all executive and senior leadership positions will be taken up by millennials in the next two years. And then 83% of millennials don't feel like they're supported with their leadership development at work. So we're currently like enterprise, essentially are plowing towards a catastrophe. No one's really aware of that. In two years time, you won't have the quality of leadership you expect you or you think you will have within your business, um, which then you're going to, the, the bottom line of that is it affects your retention. It's going to affect your engagement, it's mm -hmm. going to affect your well-being, all the things that do affect bottom line. So, I think there's a hunger for enterprise to have a product like ours. What I what I think has also helped with enterprise is it's really difficult to sell to them for a start. It's long. Yep. You can pretty much use up your entire runway trying to get one of them over the line to then yep. be like, us exactly. pilot. Um, we've just <laughs> utilized the whole pilot experience to just go as far as we can with pilot. We've got a few more lined up this year as well, which are yet to sign. And then... Um, what they kind of, what I found they kind of like, and this might be useful to some people who are building B2B, is they actually do like the, uh, hey, you're on this journey. You know, you're at the start of this journey. Uh -huh. uh, I think there's this assumption that a lot of tech founders think that the product's got to be perfect for enterprise because they're so used to like, we need the perfect yeah. finished article. Yeah. Where actually, if you can find those departments and those leaders within companies who you say to, um, you're part of this journey, you can have such an impact on this product. You know, we're not going to build it around you, but a lot of iterations will be made off your feedback. You know, you could, this could hold mm -hmm. legacy within your company. Um, they enjoy that. They really enjoy it. Why would you not enjoy wow. that? So mm -hmm. I think that's been our sort of biggest sort of selling point at the moment, um, which I think uh, conversations having the most success. But proof will that tell is you really cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, we'll do a, we'll do a part two in yeah. a year or two. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Nice, Ben. Thank you so much. You've been very generous with your time. I really appreciate it, as well as all your stories, your your transparency, 
uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. So thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, we're going to link to all your um, your book, all the things that you do. I'm, I'm going to put all the links in the description of the episode. Um, everyone who listened until the end, uh, let us know what you think. Leave some comments or just send me a direct message. I, I, I do actually genuinely love receiving those because I it's a little bit of a confirmation if you know if you like the content, if you like the guests. Um, so I do really like getting those messages and I obviously read and reply to all of them. So um, yes, let us know what you feel. And uh, Ben, thanks a lot. It was really a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. Take care.